they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to this Bible with the Barbers on Friday, January the 22nd. Uh, Terry should be in the studio in a few minutes. He had to do some errands here. Uh, we also pray today for an end to the culture of death, in particular today, and the inauguration and the building of a culture of life. Today is that infamous day when I believe it was seven justices on the Supreme Court decided that um, a woman had a right to privacy and therefore had a right to kill a child within her womb. And just a note on abortion and having worked in the um, pro-life movement for years, the reality is that women don't choose to kill their babies. Women are forced and coerced, and they're convinced that they have no other option. And it's a devastating decision. It uh, has devastating consequences on, her, on a woman's life when this happens. It also affects the fathers. It affects the whole family. It is, a, it is an attack on the family, the sanctity of the family. And most of all, it is an attack on the image and likeness of God. Every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. We were made by God. We were made for union with God, and we were made in his image. And every child is precious and welcome. And every child deserves a chance to, for life. So we need to really, really pray and do penance and beg God for his mercy. No, the people of America never voted in abortion. And um, we need to pray that God will deliver us from this scourge. But we really, really, really do need to do penance. And we need to change our lives. We need to look at our lives and see what is it that I am doing in my life that cooperates in that culture of death. And part of that is buying into the lie of the pleasure culture, that I am just here to have a good time, to be entertained. I deserve a break today, or I can have it my way. We need to do it God's way. So that's just a note on today, the infamous day, and we do penance and ask God to have mercy on our nation and to bring an end to this culture of death, to bring the triumph of truth, to inaugurate a culture of life, and, and that we would do our part to build a culture of life that is a culture where Every human being is respected. Their dignity is respected as made in God's image as persons to be loved. So welcome, welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers. And of course, that's all very biblical because it's biblical that we are made in God's image as persons to be loved. So I hope you all understand that and and appreciate that. Um, Last week, Friday, we did a a little commentary on um, the readings from last week. The first reading is from the book of Hebrews. It's still from the book of Hebrews this week, and I, I, get in, I encourage everyone to read the book of Hebrews. Um, incredible, powerful book. Jesus was not an angel. He is the Son of God, and it's, it's very clear from Scripture that that's who he is, and that's who he claimed to be. So what we want to look at today, um, before we do our Women of the Bible, and Terry bought this beautiful, beautiful magazine for me in... Um, in a store. We were in a grocery store and he saw this and he said, oh, Danielle, let's do this. And Mary Danielle, let's do this. And um, we can talk about women of the Bible on our Bible study on Friday. And it's, it's a centennial spotlight. It's centennial press. And they actually do a whole section here, not only women of the Bible, but at the end, they do saints of the Catholic church. It's, it's a beautiful little thing here. So um, we'll be talking about that a little later in the show. But the reading of today's gospel is from the gospel of Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those 
whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them forth to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he named Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he named Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, that is, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this Jesus choosing his apostles, and we know from the parallel passages in the other gospels that Jesus spent the night in prayer before he did this, before he made these these choices, before he chose the 12. Now, he chose the 12 from the disciples who had been following him. These were the 12 who he would send out. He would give them power over demons, and he would they would be working very closely with him, and they would have authority. They would share in his authority. And this was the, the beginning of the foundation of the church. He's founding his church. And we have, it's interesting, because in all of the lists, there are four separate lists of the, the apostles in the, in the scriptures. Matthew 10, 2 through 4. Mark 3, 16 through 19, this passage that we're reading today. Luke 6, 14 through 16. And Acts 1, 13. And in every one of those lists, the first name is Simon, Peter. Peter is always the first one listed. The other apostles are listed in differing orders. There's some variation, but Peter is always the first one. And the last one in the list, except in the Acts of the Apostles, he's not there anymore, but the last one in the list in the Gospels is Judas Iscariot because he betrayed our Lord. So um, we know that Jesus gave Peter a primacy among the apostles. And through church history, we know, through the fathers of the church, it wasn't just a primacy of honor, but a primacy of jurisdiction, that Peter had a certain authority that the other apostles didn't have. And so um, the beautiful institution that we call the papacy, that we believe that Jesus established a church, that he put up one man to be the head of that church on earth. Now that man represents Christ. And Jesus didn't say the church could teach whatever it wanted, whenever it wanted. That Jesus gave to the church a sacred deposit of faith. It, it, he gave to the church certain teachings. And it is the mission of the church to guard the sacred deposit of faith and to faithfully pass it on. That in every age, no matter what circumstances come up in human existence, the church will show us how to understand our times from the perspective of the sacred deposit of faith that Jesus gave. But let's look at the name of these 12 apostles. In his sermon this morning, the priest who preached, Father Allah, Father Allah is from the Middle East, and he's um, a Roman Catholic priest. He preaches at the, um, he's at St. Joseph's Parish in Pomona. And he said, you know, Jesus doesn't choose us because we're worthy. Jesus chooses us because he does choose us. And what did it say here at the opening passage? Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted. Summoned those whom he wanted. We don't take offices in the church 
because we decide we want that. We have a vocation from God. Every one of us has a vocation that is a calling from God. We have a mission. We, all of us are supposed to help build the kingdom of God on earth, the, the, God's kingdom. We're supposed to be building that. We're supposed to be doing his will. We're supposed to be living in union with him. Mm. And what happens is God gives us a vocation. He gives us a calling. So we need to pray every day and ask God, what is your calling for my life? He has a plan for our life. And we need to ask him about it. And that the apostles didn't choose to be, the 12 didn't choose to be the 12. Jesus called the ones he wanted. And he chose them. And it's interesting about these men. Father pointed out, are these the, I mean, are these the most saintly men in the world? Are they the most faithful men in the world? Are they the most, are they the bravest? Well, let's look. Peter, whom I mentioned already, is always listed first. Well, when push came to shove and Jesus is, is caught, you know, brought before the Sanhedrin at the end of his life, Peter denies that he even knows him three mm. times, publicly denies him, okay? The others flee, other than John, who goes to get the Blessed Mother and comes and stays at the foot of the cross. And Judas Iscariot, the one who's listed last always, he betrayed our Lord. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And the others, you know, James and John, what did they want? They were ambitious. They wanted to sit on Jesus's right and left. And not only that, Jesus and his apostles are walking along one day and they're coming to a Samaritan town. The Samaritans won't receive them because they're on their way to Jerusalem. And James and John say, oh, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because I think in our own time we have this idea. Lord, just come and destroy all your enemies and then the rest of us can live in peace. I agree, Mary. That is very true. And I will say this, especially at the time we're living in right now, there's a lot of frustration for people. And we're wondering, why isn't God just coming and just, you know, say it's closing time and destroy us like Sodom and Gomorrah. But here's what I want to remind people. The daily duty. Be holy. Are you loving your wife? I hope so. Are you loving your, your husband? Are you loving your children? Are you doing your daily duty, going to work? We can control that. There's certain things in life we can't control. So don't be so fretful about it. Just fulfill your duties and your state in life. Live a holy life. That's the message I'd like to give because right now we're living in such treacherous times. People are frightened. And we we don't need to be frightened. We need to trust in the Lord. And and the thing is, Jesus chose the 12, and the 12 weren't perfect. It took them time to become the saints that God wanted them to be. It takes time for us. And remember, there were enemies of the Lord who became friends of the Lord. You know, there there were people who were converted all through history. Read the lives of the saints. We're all enemies of the Lord when we sin. Sin is always a grave. And if we ever commit a mortal sin, we have killed the life of God in our soul. We're no longer his friends. We belong now to the enemy yeah. and to the enemy's camp. We have, that's why you go to confession immediately. Don't wait. You know, that's why go to confession before you commit a mortal sin. Sacramental confession that is devotional, that is confessing venial sins, so that if we have the misfortune of committing a mortal sin, we will go immediately to confession because we're not saints. We need, we're saints in the making. God has called us there to be go. saints. But we don't, we know that God calls sinners. He came to call sinners, and that was the list of the 12. It shows us we're all sinners. We're all in this together, by the way. All those people who were looking out there saying, Lord, take care of all those people and get rid of them. Well, you know, what about us? We'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January 22nd.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So to finish up a little on that gospel, the reality is that if Jesus came and wiped out all the bad guys, nobody would be left. Because we're all sinners. Because we're all sinners. So <laughs> we repent of our sins. And as Terry said, our duty, do our duty. And it, we had a spiritual warfare conference last weekend. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because Dan, mm-hmm. who was Schneider. one of the, Dan Schneider, one of the speakers there, he made a, a very good, good uh, observation. observation that we all need to follow. And he said, look, all of the confusion that's going on right now, all the bad stuff that's going on in our country, what do you need to do about it? You women, you wives and mothers, go home and make a meal for your family. Pay attention to your children. Pay attention to your husband. Husbands, pay attention to your wives. Serve them. What can you do to help them? Mm. Help each other be at peace. Pray with one another. Don't be focusing on <clears throat> all of the news. We need to shut the news off. If, we're, if you're spending several hours a day reading the articles, the news or whatever, it's too much. Father William Wagner used to tell us that if you're reading the newspaper once a month, that is sufficient. You're sufficiently up on current events. So we need to back off on all of this. We have all of this at our fingertips now. It's coming to our phones. These messages are coming to us. We're not even asking for them. You know what? We don't need to see it all. We do not need to see it all. We need to pray. We need to pray for our former president, Donald Trump. Donald Trump did wonderful things for this country. He was incredibly pro-life. He protected children all over the world. He, he cut off funding for, for abortions in foreign countries from the United States of America. Say, no, the United States will no longer fund this. Tremendous, tremendous. Mary, I, I said it on the Terry and Jesse show that there are mm-hmm. thousands of children breathing right now. Right. Because President Trump cut the funding off all over the world for, kidding, uh, for abortion. I think we have to acknowledge that, that that is, especially those babies that, who knows what those babies are going to grow up to be. Right, right. All because... One man said, no, not on my watch. Not on my watch. And thank you, God, for him. And pray for him. Pray for him. He did tremendous good. And now we have those who supported him being threatened by the current administration. And and also he, Donald Trump. Impeachment is for a sitting president. And yet they're talking about impeaching, spending all of our tax money and time. These people are supposed to be representing us. Impeaching someone who's not even president anymore. He's a private citizen. By the way, there's a reason I mentioned again, just a quick note, that is President Trump, if he got impeached, then he wouldn't be qualified to come back four years from now to be running for the next presidency. And they they are definitely scared of him coming back. So this is one way of getting back at him. And they can't do anything. People who's in charge. This is a Bible study, right? We talked a couple weeks ago about a world biblical worldview, Mm. right? Yes. God is in charge. The enemies of God cannot do anything that God doesn't allow. So if we will put our trust in God and do our daily duty and unite it with Jesus Christ and his sufferings, the enemy can't do anything. We can ask the angels to hide us from God's enemies. Whenever we go out, one of the sisters in the Opus Angelorum used to teach the, the, the sisters to pray, Lord, we're going out now. Please hide us from our enemies. Let your angels hide us. And, and when we do our daily duty, we can say, Lord, we put this on the altar as a sacrifice. And when you be, be an incense rising up to you, pleasing to you, and may, it, may the smoke of that incense hide us from your enemies so that they don't even see us. <laughs> you know, and that's happened. It's yep. happened many times. We had this, the, the true story, Russell Ford, he was in prison and he had become Catholic in prison. There was a hit out on his life. He was converting. He was teaching and preaching the gospel in prison and there were Satanists in prison. 
and they were going to get him. And, and he got a warning. He was told by, by another prisoner, look, they're going to get you. Watch your back. Don't ever be alone. Don't get yourself caught where you're, you know, you're not, there aren't witnesses around because they're going to get you. One day he and a friend got into a discussion and they, they lost track of time and, and they f- forgot about watching. And all of a sudden there was nobody else in the room except for these, these mm-hmm. men who walked, five men walked in the door and they surrounded them. Yep. <laughs> we got you now. We're going to get you. Mm-hmm. We're going to kill you right here and now. And there are no witnesses. It's just us. And you know, you'll both be dead. So, and um, Russell said, we both dropped to our knees and started to pray the Hail Marys. And all of a sudden, these guys were like, where'd they go? They've got to be here. They can't have gone on now. Where are they? And they realized they can't see us. And they walked out of the room. They walked out of the room. God God can do this. So we pray. And now what we want to look at is we want to look at these brave women of the Old Testament. Now, believe me, we could do the next probably 10 weeks on this. There are so many. There are so many. And I'm not going to look at them all. But I want to mention a couple things before we start. Does anybody know how many books in the Old Testament actually have a woman's name on them? Wow, that's a great, that's the Bible question of the day. You know, how many of you are sitting out there saying zero? You know, the Bible is just misogynistic and they'd never name a book after a woman. Eleven? No, there aren't eleven in the Old Testament. Six? No. (laughs) I'm giving a hard time. But there are three. Ruth? Ruth is one of them, exactly. Judith? Yeah. And Esther. Esther, oh my gosh. Now, there are other women there who did tremendous things. And the first like one I Deborah. want to talk about is Deborah. Yeah, Deborah's amazing. Deborah was a judge. Mm-hmm. So in the book of Judges, chapters four and five are about Deborah. All right? Deborah was a married woman. She was a judge of Israel. And if you know about the time of Judges, I don't know. During the time of Judges, what would happen is God would raise up a judge to lead his people. And then the judge would die. And then his people would fall back into idolatry. Right. So then they, and then their enemies would come and, and beat them up, and then they would cry out to God and turn back to God, and then God would raise up a judge. So God raised up Deborah to rule over his people. And Deborah was ruling over the people, and there was a, another king who was going to attack Israel, and God told Deborah to tell um, a man to go defend Israel, and the man's name was Barak, hmm. son of Abin Omen. Okay? And so he was to go to Mount Tabor, and he was going to defend Israel. But Barak said, well, I'll only go, Deborah, if you go with me. <laughs> so the bravery of these men, right? So here's a, here's a manly woman who is truly womanly, a womanly woman who is manly. She's courageous because she knows that the Lord has given this command and he will be true to his promise. So she goes and, and she says, I'll go with you. But I, I want you to know that um, the, the glory for, for defeating the king is not going to go to you. It's going to go to a woman. So he defeats the army of the king, and the king flies, runs away on foot. And the king runs, and as he's running, he goes to the tent of um, Heber, and Heber's wife, Jael, is there. And Jael says, come on in, and I will hide you. And he says, he asks her for some water, but instead of giving her, him water, she gives him warm milk. And he falls asleep under the rug, and Jael takes a tent peg, and she drives it through his temple. And she defeats this king, this king who was going to fight against Israel. So when, when Barak comes looking for, for the king, the king's name was Sisera, he's dead. But he didn't die by the hands of Barak. He dies at the hands of a woman. Mm. 
And again, so you have two women in this story. You have Deborah, who was faithful to the Lord, and you have Jael, who is also, she is, by the way, Jael belongs to the clan of um, the, the father-in-law of Moses. So she's from the people. They weren't, they weren't Israelites. That Moses, you know, he, the, the priest of Midian. So, but, but nonetheless, that's who she comes from. So she, she has this reverence for Israel and the God of Israel, and she respects him. And then chapter five of this is this beautiful song of Deborah and Barak and, mm-hmm. and, the, praises of, and the praises of the Lord. They sing the praises of the Lord. And that's, it, it's just, it, what's beautiful about this is that the reality that, number one, Deborah puts her, her complete trust in the Lord. She's not ruling over Israel because she thinks she has, you know, I'm such a wonderful person and I can do this and I can make these judgments. And no, it's because God called her again, vocation. Mm -hmm. We all have a vocation. God calls us to do a specific work in the building up of his kingdom. And this was Deborah's part. She was to be the judge. And then she was to call forth Barak to go and defend the people of Israel against their enemies. And Barak was afraid to go by himself. He said, only if you go. So now he's got 10,000 men, but he has to have this woman come into battle with him. So she does. But that the king actually falls to the hands of another woman, Jael, who is faithful to the Lord, God of Israel, even though she's not an Israelite. She's from the Midianites that, that were Moses' father-in-law. She's from that, that, those people. So Deborah judged the people in Israel. She judged them fairly and justly. And for 40 years, the land had peace under Deborah. So that is Deborah. Now, we have the beautiful story of Ruth. Now, who is Ruth? Well, I think maybe you'll all remember. After Judges, you have the book of Ruth. And Ruth is the story. You have Naomi and her husband had gone to Moab. And they had settled there because there had been a famine in Israel. Naomi and her husband were Israelites. They had two sons. And while they were there, both of their sons married Moabite women. And one of them was Ruth. And what happens is both the husband of Naomi and the two sons die while they're there in Moab. And then Naomi gets word that the famine has ended in Israel and she can go back to Israel. So here Naomi is an old woman. She's a widow. She has no grandchildren. She only has these two daughter-in-laws. And so the two daughter-in-laws are going to go with her back to Israel. And she's, I can't support you. And she says, go back to your father's house. So the one daughter-in-law goes back and she asks the other, she says, Ruth, go back. And Ruth says, no, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth goes back to Israel with Naomi and Ruth supports her mother-in-law. Well, how would you support your mother-in-law? She's a widow. In Israel, when they went through the fields harvesting the crops, they were to leave some of the harvest behind so that widows and orphans could go through and, and pick up what was left behind and it would be enough to support them. So it wasn't a welfare state. You worked. You worked for what you got, but you got a chance to go through the fields. And so now, uh, Ruth is in the field of Boaz. Boaz happens to be a relative of Naomi. And um, Ruth is doing this. And Boaz hears who Ruth is and what she has done for her mother-in-law. And so he tells, he's very kind and he tells the, the men to leave extra in the field for her. And so um, what ends up happening is <clears throat> Boaz marries Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth have a son. 
and the son's name is Obed. And Obed becomes the, the father of Jesse, Jesse of Bethlehem, who becomes the father of King David. So here is this <clears throat> Moabite woman who comes back. She leaves her own people. She leaves everything she knows to, to, to go with her mother-in-law and support her in her old age, her charity. So you have Deborah, the judge, who was faithful and honest and upright, who saves her people and brings peace to the land for 40 years. And then it's God who brings the peace, but he used Deborah as his instrument. And you have Jael, who was faithful to the Lord, even though she's not one of his people. And then you have Ruth, again, who is faithful to the Lord, even though she's not one of his people. She's not an Israelite. She's an outsider. She's a Moabite. But she's faithful to the Lord, and she takes care of her mother-in-law, and she becomes the great-grandmother of the first, of, well, the second king of Israel. Saul was the first king, but of King David. So we will be back with more of these great women of the Old Testament who show us virtue and fidelity to the Lord. We pray for our country today on this 22nd day of January and make reparation for the sin of abortion, this crime against humanity and against God. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us on this 22nd day of January, 2021. Again, we need to make reparation for the crime of abortion, for this sin against God and against man. It's a terrible crime against the family. Um, it's not um, something that men think up on their own. This is something that's inspired by the enemy of God. He inspires people to hate children because God became a man. And Jesus Christ was a little child first. He really became a little baby. And so Satan hates the babies. And so he tries to get families to destroy themselves. God is the original family. Remember the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the original family because in God there is fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love. And so Satan hates the human family because it is the living image of God on earth. So he does everything he can to destroy it. So let's make reparation, not only today, but always really pray for an end to the culture of death and the inauguration and the upbuilding of a culture of life. So we're talking about women of the Old Testament. Now, granted, this little this little magazine that Terry picked up in, in the book, and it's by Centennial Spot, it's a Centennial Spotlight. It's a Centennial publication. I'm not Centennial Media. I'm not familiar with them. I don't know if they're Christian or Protestant. Um, I don't know, but, and they don't do all the women of the Old Testament. For instance, the one we're gonna do now, Judith, is not even mentioned here. When they have the list of the women of the Old Testament, they have Eve and Sarah and Hagar and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel and Ruth and, Ruth and Naomi. We, we're, we talked about Ruth, Hannah, Bathsheba, Miriam, Deborah. We talked about Deborah, Delilah, Esther, Tamar. But this is not the Tamar who's the, daughter of, the daughter-in-law of Judah. This is a different Tamar. This Tamar was a, son, a daughter of David, King David. Tragic story. Jezebel, Zephora, the daughters of Zelophehad, and then the nameless. And um, so you have a lot there. You have a lot of, you know, there, and there, there are lots of women in the Old Testament, and they don't get to name them all. So they picked the ones they did. They do not do Judith. 
and it's interesting. Judith was um, a widow in in Israel at the time of um, when Nebuchadnezzar was ruling in um, in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, goes and he's, he you know he sends a word out to to all the Middle East and says you people have to serve me. Well, he gets a, an answer back: we're not going to serve you, and he's very angry. So he goes after everybody and he's going to wipe them all out. And in the town where Judith lives, um, uh, she she's they're at the northern end of, they're toward the northern end of Israel and um they come and they lay siege against this city the the Ninevites come excuse me the Babylonians come Babylonians come and they laid siege against this city that that um Judith lives in and Holofernes is the general of the army okay and so um what he does is the, the people in the city are afraid. And they said, you know what? Let's just make an alliance with these people. Let's forget. And these are all, remember, these are all Jews. These are, these are God's people. And Judith is a widow. And she said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You elders, what are you afraid of? God will defend us if we are faithful. God is faithful. He will not deliver us into the hands of our enemy as long as we're faithful to him. No, do not give in to them. And so Judith, who was wearing a widow's garb, she dressed in black and she was a widow. So she um, prays first. She and her maids pray. And then she dresses up. She was a wealthy woman. So she dresses up and she puts on jewelry. And she and one of her maids, she tells the people of the city, you must fast and pray. But I'm going to go out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that God will defend us and, and defeat this enemy. And she goes out to Holofernes, the general who's fighting against them. And she tells him, she says, I want refuge in your camp because the people of my village, of my city are talking about abandoning God and joining you. And I know that God will deliver them into your hands when they do this. So she goes and she gains his trust. She's also very beautiful. And he begins to desire her, begins to lust after her. And so every night, she would have dinner with Holofernes and his generals. And then afterwards, she had told, she said, but every night I need to go out and pray to the Lord. So she would go out, she and her maid would go out and they would pray to the Lord. And so on the final night, Holofernes sends out all of his aides and it's just Judith and he in the tent. And he's drunk quite a bit and he falls asleep. And there's no one else there. And Judith prays and she takes his own sword. And again, here is a womanly woman who trusts in the Lord and she is defending her people and defending her faith in the Lord. She doesn't abandon the Lord. She doesn't go out to Hall of Fairness and give herself to him as a concubine. Um, she doesn't go out and eat his food. She eats her own food that she brought with her and and every night she goes out and prays. And in the meantime, she has asked the people in the village to pray, to pray and to fast until she returns. And so she does this. And on this last night, he sends all of his aides away. And they all figure, oh, well, he's going to have a good time tonight with, with Judith. Um, he's going to get this Israelite woman and make her his own. And he's had a little much to drink and, and he falls asleep and with the strength of God 
Judith takes Holofernes's sword and she cuts off his head. And she puts that head in her bag and she and her maid go out to pray. And this is, you know, nobody thinks anything of it. This is what they always do. So this is what they've been doing. And so they go out, but they don't come back. They go back to the city and they go back to the city and she shows them the head of Holofernes, this general. And she shows them, you see, be faithful to the Lord. He will defend you. So in the city, there's this great rejoicing and this great sound of, of just exuberance. And, and so the enemy, they all wake up in the morning and they're like, they're waiting for the general to come out and they're waiting for the general to come out. And they're like, well, what do we do? Where's the general? Where's the general? And finally, one of his aides goes in to check on him. They were afraid to go in too early because they thought he was still with Judith. And they go in and they find him dead. And now they're like, oh my gosh, he was defeated by the hand of a woman. And it throws, and it's not, not just that, but, but God in his providence, he throws them into confusion and they began to flee. And the, the people from the, the, from the city, the men from the city pursue them. Mm-hmm. And so he is defeated by a woman. But is she doing this on her own? Did Judas think this up herself? No, she sees that her people are going to be unfaithful to the Lord, and she knows. Whenever Israel is unfaithful, they get delivered into the hands of their enemy, which, by the way, is a warning for us in our time. Mm -hmm. Are we being complicit in the crimes of abortion and the worst crime of cutting God out of the public arena? Are we saying, you know what, God, you have a corner of my life. You belong to Sunday morning for 145 minutes, or you belong to, you know, whatever, but but you don't have a place in my public life. You don't have a place in my um, social life. You don't have a place when I talk to my friends or my family. It, it just This is just a secret. You know, you're just my secret friend, Lord. Nobody else can know about it. And are we afraid to let it be known that we are followers of Christ, that we want to be like Christ, that we are willing to do whatever it is to accomplish, to allow God to accomplish his will in our life and that we will be faithful to him to the end, no matter what the cost? Or are we being complicit with the culture? How many hours do we spend being entertained every day? How many hours are we spending watching the news, the so-called news? Is this really news? You know, the news is the, the, real, the, the sensationalism, the, the false information that's being put out, and they're calling it news. You know, let's rewrite the, let's rewrite the scenario. It's like that. All summer long, we had riots in our cities, and Democratic politicians were calling for riots. They were calling for people to go out and riot. You have a right to riot. You have a right to do this, blah, 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 blah. And, and now, when uh, there's a protest in Washington, D.C., and um, some people breached the Capitol, and it's not clear that all of those people were followers of Donald Trump or even supporters of Donald Trump, and yet it's being blamed on Donald Trump. Although he didn't call for any violence, he called for peace. He called for a peaceful protest. We have a right to protest. As the um, Jay Sekulow, he's the American Center for Law and Justice, he said, live in Washington, D.C. They have protests in Washington, D.C. every week. This is a constant reality. And there's always protests going on. There's nothing unusual about having a presidential rally and a protest, a march to the Capitol. And many of the people who were there at the presidential rally and marched to the Capitol, there was no violence. There was no violence at all. And they didn't see any violence until they got to the steps of the Capitol, and they didn't even know where those people came from. 
So, but the the news media and the the Demo- and certain certain politicians, Democratic and Republican, want to spin it a certain way, and they want to say this was the fault of the former president, when it had nothing to do with him. It had something to do with the fact that in our country, we have said that the way to find freedom and peace and and security is to kill your children and to cut God out of the public arena. A nation founded under God. Remember, our nation was founded under God. The whole idea of separation of church and state was not that the state couldn't pray or people who were representatives of the state or politicians couldn't pray. It was that the state wouldn't make a state religion like King Henry VIII had done in England when he declared himself the head of the church and then said anyone who doesn't belong to this religion is going to die. And under Elizabeth, how many people died because they were Catholic? How many Catholic priests did she kill? Good Queen Bess, some people like to call her. God have mercy on Elizabeth. Poor Elizabeth, her circumstances were not the greatest, you know. She was an illegitimate child. But the deal, her father wasn't a faithful husband. He had had an affair with someone he wasn't married to. And here she was, she was born into this mess, and she became the queen. And, and she, you know, people, whatever. But the reality is, she killed Catholic priests because they were Catholic. She didn't kill her enemies. She didn't just kill her enemies. She killed any Catholic who was preaching the Catholic faith. Now, she considered them her enemies because King Henry, her father, had made himself the head of the church. So if you're preaching another church, if you're preaching another religion, then yeah, you're the enemy of the state. Okay? So, again, are we following God or are we following the lies? that are being taught to us. Are we part of the culture of life or are we part of the culture of death? Are we for the Lord or are we for ourselves and this world? We need to ask ourselves these questions. We need to really, really examine ourselves. We'll be back with more Women of the Bible, the Old Testament. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Here, January 22nd, 2021, um, on Bible with the Barbers. Again, we pray for our country, for an end to the culture of death, not just in our country, but worldwide. We need to stop the killing of babies. You know, I, these, there are a lot of people who say, well, we can't, have, we can't have capital punishment. We can't have capital punishment. But those very same people are constantly pushing for capital punishment of unborn babies. So let's stop the capital punishment of unborn babies first. And then we'll work on the capital punishment of the prisoners, too. We need to respect every human life, yes. Okay. Now, we're talking about these women of the Old Testament, and granted, we are not covering the whole thing. You know, there's, there's a lot. There's some very great women in the Old Testament. There were also some very wicked women in the Old Testament, some very evil women. But now um, we, talked about, um, we talked about Deborah, and we talked about Jael, who's in the story of Deborah, Deborah, and we talked about Ruth, and of course Naomi, her mother-in-law, but mostly about Ruth, and then Judith, because Ruth and Judith, and, and then we're going to talk about Esther. Ruth and Judith and Esther all have their own book. Now, Ruth is a very short book, and Esther is um, not a very long book. It's a, it's a fairly short book, too. Let's see here. Let's see how, I think, I'm pretty sure. Now that I said that, it's like, well, maybe Esther's a little longer than I thought. Well, yeah, Esther's a little longer. Um, Esther is um, about 15 chapters, and Judith is about 15 chapters. So Judith and Esther are rather, they're longer books in the um, Old Testament than, than the book of Ruth. But these, these books are books about brave women 
who followed the Lord and did the Lord's will. And again, we are all called to do the Lord's will. We're not called to live in the world as if we have a finality in this world. We're not called to live in this world to be entertained. We're not called to live in this world for pleasure. So it's not about, okay, I get up in the morning, I go to work, and then I can come home and plot myself in front of the TV or the computer and do that, uh, just relax and entertain myself until it's time to go to bed and then get up the next morning. No, we were made by God for union with God. We're supposed to be living in union with God. We're supposed to be doing everything we do in union with him and because he's calling us to do it. So we do our duty. And our duty means that we take care of our families. You know, if we're married men and women, we have children and are not children. We have our spouses. They're first. And if we're not married, if we're single, we still, our service of our neighbor and the church are first before our own entertainments and our own relaxation. We need to be serving others. This is what we were made for. We were made to be like God and God is giving. He's always giving. He's always pouring himself out. So what do we have in the book of Esther? In the book of Esther, we have this, um, this happened during the um, reign of Artaxerxes the Great, okay? There was, um, in, in the reign of Artaxerxes, you have this story of this man who was um, an aide to the king, and his name is Haman, and Haman hated um, the Israelites because he hates a man by the name of, Mor- of Mordecai. And Mordecai was a Jew, and he wouldn't do obsessions to Haman. Haman was like the right-hand man of the king, and he was allowed to parade himself around, and he was a great, very prideful man. And Haman wouldn't do him obsessions. He wouldn't worship him because he wasn't a god. Haman was a faithful Jew. And so Mordecai, um, Haman, um, Mordecai will not worship Haman, and, and so Haman contrives this plot against the Jews. And he gets the king to write this um, decree against the Jews. But in the meantime, Mordecai has had his niece, whom he raised, Esther, marry the, well, the king was looking for a wife. So his, his, his wife had come into his presence without his permission, which was not allowed. And so um, she was demoted and, and no longer allowed to ever come into his presence. And so he was looking for another wife. So he, ha, um, Mordecai sends his, his niece in to be one of the candidates. And Esther turns out to be the one, she's that, that's the, the niece of Mordecai, and she's the one that the king chooses. This is his new wife. Now, Esther's not real happy about it, but you know, she, she does this. And then when this incident comes up where Haman decides he wants to wipe out the Jews and he gets the king to write this decree that on a given day, all the Jews are to die. All the Jews in every province in his kingdom are the, the people of their city can gather them together and, and exterminate them. And so Mordecai goes to Esther and says, look, don't just don't think that because you're the queen, you're going to get away. You're, you're not going to be punished here, too, that you're going to you're going to live through this. You need, you are there. God puts you in the position you're in right now to intercede for your people. And she's like, I can't go into the presence of the king unless he sends for me. The last queen that did that got demoted. Not only demoted, she may have died. I don't remember the story that well. So I didn't get a chance to reread it this week. Grandchildren, I'm, you know, my grandson keeps me pretty busy. So, <laughs> but um, anyway, Esther prays. Again, she fasts and she prays. And she's like, Lord, 
put words in my mouth in the presence of the lion. How? How am I going to go before the king? He hasn't sent for me. And yet this date is going to come up. And if, if I don't go in now, I may not get a chance to go in and all my people will die. All your people, Lord, will die. So she goes into the presence of the king. Now, if the king extends his scepter to her, then it's okay. So he does. He extends his scepter and Esther passes out. She's weak from fasting and she passes out and the king is very concerned. And so what she does is she says, tells the king she wants a dinner and she wants to invite Haman to the dinner. And so they have this dinner. And what happens is in the course of all of it, the king is reminded of what Mordecai had done for him because Mordecai had saved the king. There were some people who were plotting against the king and Mordecai had overheard it and he had let it be known. And so Mordecai had been responsible for saving the king. And so um, um, the king orders Haman to honor Mordecai. And oh my gosh, Haman is just... But so they have this dinner and as it turns out, what happens is Esther tells the king eventually in the in the course of things it's, she has she invites Hammond for a couple of nights to, to dinner with the king and then she says and um, I want you to know that um, I have been ordered to be exterminated and all of my people because you see I'm a Jew and it is Hammond here who's done that and and um, the king is very very upset and he goes out of the room and Hammond in the meantime throws himself on Esther and says, oh, have mercy on me, forgive me, but, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the king comes back and he thinks that Haman is molesting Esther. So he is furious. But what happens in the upshot of it is Esther has had the courage. She found the courage in her prayer and in her fidelity to the Lord to beg for the life of her people. And so what happens is instead of the Jews being exterminated, Haman and his family get to have the punishment that they were going to give to their innocent neighbors. So they were the ones, instead of, you know, the Jews being hung on the gallows, Haman and his family are. Now that's a tragedy for Haman and his family, but Haman had been unjust. And the reality is, is that God gives everybody a chance to repent of their sins. And that's what we need to do is repent of our sins now while we have a chance. We don't know if we're going to get tomorrow. But Esther pleads on behalf of her people. And the king is moved. This is by the grace of God. Yes, God can move even hardened hearts, even people who don't believe in him. He can move them to do good. And we see that over and over again in the Old Testament. And so these beautiful women are brave. They're virtuous. They're courageous. They're women of prayer. But they're manly in the sense of, they have courage and they do manly things. You know, Judith cuts off the head of a general. Um, Jael drives a, a tent peg through the temple of, of a man who was um, trying to kill the Israelites. So we are not asking God to kill everybody in this world. And we're not asking God to um, destroy we're asking God to bring us all back to him, to save us from our sins and from our own sinfulness. And remember, I'm not asking God to, to wipe out all the sinners because, hey, he's good. he'd have to wipe me out first. Lord, have mercy on me. Don't deal with me as my sins deserve, but have mercy on me. Turn again and have mercy, Lord. And this is what these women pled. 
they, they pleaded with God to have mercy on their people, to give peace to their people, to give their people the courage and the strength to serve the Lord first. When we serve the Lord, he blesses us with his grace. That doesn't mean we're going to have abundant wealth in this world or that we're not going to have any trials, but it means that there will be a peace in our hearts. When we are at peace with God, we can be at peace with ourselves and with our neighbor. When we are in sin, we are divided from ourselves, from our neighbor and from God. And this is what these women of the Old Testament show us. And there are many others. There are many, many stories here that we, we could have read from. But in an hour, we, we can't do them all. But these beautiful women who show us the way, who are faithful to the Lord, who do the Lord's work, but most of all, they pray and they fast. They don't live for themselves. They weren't living for themselves. Deborah was pouring herself out for her people. Ruth pours herself out for her mother-in-law. She serves her. Judith and Esther, again, they pour themselves out for their people. They risk their own lives for their people. Yeah, Judith risked her life in going to the enemy camp. He could have just killed her. You know, this is a trap, whatever. But he doesn't. Holofernes doesn't. He allows her into the camp. And he allows her to do what she, she sets the ground rules. He doesn't, she does. And, and Esther, when she became the queen, she doesn't, she's not the queen of Israel. She's the queen of a foreign, she's a foreign, she's the queen for a foreigner, for a foreign king. But her people are living in his land. And so she begs for her people and she takes her life in her hand when she goes into the presence of the king. And we go into the presence of the king, but we go into the presence of the king of heaven. And our life belongs to him. Our life is not our own. We didn't make ourselves and we didn't make our children, by the way. We did not create our children. We are gods and we belong to God. We came from God. We are going to God. We are called to be faithful to the Lord. So in our time, let us be faithful to the Lord. Let us do penance for the crimes that our country has perpetrated throughout the world and the crimes that are going on and that are being perpetrated by the present administration in our country. Let us pray for the children, the protection of the children. Let us pray for the conversion of our political leaders. And let us pray first and foremost for our own conversion and the conversion of our family. We need to turn back to God and make God again the center of our lives. We need to make him the king and Lord of our lives. You know, heart of Jesus, king and center of all hearts, rule thou supreme in our home and in every home and in our country. Thine we are, O Lord, thine we will be. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your financial, your spiritual, all the support you give, all the all that you've offered, your sufferings, and the healing of your daily duties for us. Join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers, and we'll do more. We'll try and do some women of the New Testament next week. And um, like us and support us and share this with your friends. 